Welcome to the study of God's Word recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bob. Yeah, bro. Okay. Tonight we're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. I'm Pastor Bob Claycamp. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. So if you will turn in your Bibles to Luke, chapter 7, we're going to be looking at a section, verses 36 to 50, tonight. And a a while back, just a couple weeks ago, it was on my heart to just look at the Gospel of Luke again and look at it fresh. I talked about this earlier, but there's something about asking the Lord to bring in a new breath, a new life as you're reading the Gospels, just to see Jesus once again, not for how you even remember, but what does the text say? What is being spoken? And understanding that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit moved upon holy men of God to write those things that are in the Scripture. And so out of all the many things that Jesus did, these are things that the Holy Spirit wanted to us to know. And here we are in the 21st century, which is quite amazing. And God has protected his word through the centuries, through all the attempts of man to destroy it and the attempts of Satan to destroy it. Here we have it in such abundance. And yet, to whom much is given, much is required. And so as I started again with the Gospel of Luke, it's almost like the very first part of it just began to speak to me. And... We know that Luke, the beloved physician, became a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, especially at the end of his third missionary journey. And Luke accompanied Paul all the way back into Jerusalem. He was there to witness Paul's incarceration by the Romans and then being sent to the coastal town of Caesarea for two years. And so what was Luke to do? And it's believed by many Bible commentators that it was during that two-year period where Paul was incarcerated in Caesarea on the coast that Luke went around and obtained firsthand testimony of those who were there, those who watched it, those who heard him. And so when you're reading the Gospel of Luke, you are reading this special account that uh, of him going around. How else do you explain the detail on John the Baptist and the detail on, on um, how, how the angel Gabriel came to Mary? I want you to um, flip back over to chapter 1 of Luke, because here's what he said. I know I brought this out last week, but it's worth mentioning again. And Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, he writes, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, 
just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. Not that he was there personally, but he talked to those who were there. To write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So this is Luke's discipleship, where he puts all this together as kind of a discipleship tool for this uh, person whose name was Theophilus, and most excellent is, a, is an official title. So it's possible he was um, in, among the Roman um, aristocracy. We don't know for sure but we're sure glad he wrote it. And I'm sure glad that we have it with us. And there are events that Luke puts in his gospel that you don't find in the other three gospels. And our text tonight is one of those events, verses 36 to 50 in chapter 7. And we're going to see here in, in our text that's an account of an unusual experience where Jesus was invited to dine at the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And in the midst of the dinner, this uninvited woman bursts into the courtyard and caused quite a scene. But Jesus could see what was going on where others who were at the table couldn't see. Because Jesus has this way of seeing right into people's hearts, not just this uninvited woman, but also the heart of Simon. He saw his heart as well. And so we're going to see here that this sinful woman that's talked about here has such a dynamic freedom in her forgiveness that she just has to pour out her worship of the Lord. And quite the opposite was true of Simon and the fellows that he invited to the dinner. So we're going to see this tonight. And, and if you're taking notes, what I'm going to do is take this text and divide it into three parts. The first part is called the rude intrusion. The rude intrusion. That's verses 36 to 39. And we're going to explore each of these three. The second part is the revealing illustration, and that's verses 40 to 43. And the final part, the response of great forgiveness, verses 44 to 50. So follow along with me as I read through the text, and then we'll start with a word of prayer. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, 
He spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he, frank, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he gave forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with them began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father in heaven, we're asking that you would speak to our hearts through this incident recorded by Luke here in his gospel. This isn't just information or a random story. There's a purpose that this is included. And we believe that the same Holy Spirit who inspired Luke to include this account wants to minister to us this evening. And so help us have ears to hear and eyes to see what's going on here, and search our hearts. We invite you to search our hearts, God. See if there be any wicked way in us, and lead us in the way everlasting. And we set this time before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's launch into this. Verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Now, when you're looking at this text, the first thing you want to observe is who is there. We know, of course, it's Simon, the Pharisee. We know him by name. And then there's this unnamed woman, which throughout the whole text, there's not a name given to her at all. And then there were those who were seated at the table. There were other guests that Simon had invited. We don't see the disciples mentioned here. And so what we're doing is we're observing the text a little bit and just putting some pieces together. So Jesus was invited by this Pharisee. The Fer- uh, Jesus didn't like burst in and say, hey, I'm going to your house for dinner. No, this Pharisee invited Jesus to dine with him. But I have a hunch that Jesus knew it was a setup. And, <laughs> you know, why did he go? Because if he sensed in, in Simon's heart that, that there was just this 
uh, disbelief and cynical attitude, why did he even bother to go? Well, the answer is simple. Because the Holy Spirit prompted him to step into it. It was the will of the Father for Jesus to go into this Pharisee's home without his disciples. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, The things I see the Father do, that I do. And the things I hear the Father say, those are the things I say. That way Jesus could say, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father in heaven. And so the Father wanted Jesus to actually go into this situation that was going to be awkward and uncomfortable. And there are times in our life in the same way where things we would normally avoid, we are sensing the Holy Spirit wanting us to go and enter the situation. Even though you know it's not going to be comfortable and it's not going to be easy. But you, got, you have this strong impression that I'm supposed to do this. And so rather than reasoning yourself out of it, rationalizing yourself away from it, you just do it. You just take the step and do it. And so Jesus was obedient, and he went to this Pharisee, this Pharisee's house. Now the text says he sat down to eat. And that's unfortunate because although it communicates that he, he came to the table and, and ate with them, it's not the customary way they ate was sitting around a table like we do. You have maybe, a, um, it's interesting, you have maybe um, a table that was maybe two feet high, and then you had pillows or low benches, and you actually reclined up to the table with your feet out toward the back, and, and you would hold up yourself with your left elbow on the table and you would eat with your right hand. And so that was customary. That's, that's how they ate. It was a very uh, casual time where you could uh, uh, talk to one another. You're right there. And I just challenge you, next time you invite somebody to dinner, try that. I mean, you know, set it up. Don't tell them ahead of time. So just set it up, you know, a low, a low table and then put pillows or, or benches all around on, the, on maybe three sides of it and then say, okay, today we're going to do a, um, a culinary experience and then um, have them take off their shoes. And it's good because their feet are away from the food, okay? So, so and, then, and then have them lie down on the pillows and then put their left elbow on the table and set foods that, like finger foods, or you can dip, because that's what they did. They, they took and they dipped it in the sop and they ate it and all. Why not? All they can do is leave and you got the rest of the food to yourself. <laughs> now, um, what did this look like? Back in these days, uh, dwellings, especially for those more well-to-do, were built around an open courtyard. It's kind of like this. It was built around an open courtyard, and the entry was from the street. And so it's believed by many Bible commentators that this din dinner was set up in the courtyard, and as was customary at the time also, um, they had the opening was there so that people passing by, especially if there was a rabbi or a teacher, 
um, there and he was sharing about uh, the law or what this looked like, people could, that were passing by could stop and, and eavesdrop and listen in. And so that kind of gives you a little visual picture of what very likely was going on here in this Pharisee's house. The, the dining was set up in the open courtyard. And then verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, <laughs> this is one of the most unusual things we've read so far. Because if he was sitting at the table, how'd she get under the table to do this? I mean, you know, that's, that's why this makes sense, how that she could do this. The woman remains unnamed, although there are some, a few Bible commentators that want to identify this unnamed woman with Mary Magdalene. And it is interesting that in the next verses, chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, Especially in verse 2, it says, And certain woman who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of, of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him of their substance. And yet, Mary Magdalene, being such an important disciple of Jesus, to have her unnamed here seems a bit unlikely, because even Simon is named. And so you wonder, I wonder if Luke ran into Simon, because usually the names weren't included, but his name was. Simon the Pharisee. She was a woman in the city and was a known sinner. We don't know the details, but the, the way the text reads is her lifestyle was one known in the city and that she was a sinner, which is uh, a notorious sinner. And, and most uh, commentators believe that it probably included prostitution. And given the Roman soldier presence in the area, possibly this was one way for her to make a living to support her life. But the text doesn't say how long she had been doing this. Long enough to, for her to have a reputation in the city. And you know, it, it, sometimes we, we so easily judge people that are living a sinful life, lifestyle and we forget the story behind what led them to even be involved with this. This woman was a little girl at one point. What happened in her life that brought her to this kind of a life. Her life being in shambles, the defilement of her heart shredded from the many sins, as Jesus noted. How did he know? He didn't know her. But it was a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit as he understood by the Holy Spirit who this woman was and what she had lived through and the condition of her life. 
She had kept up her promiscuous manner of life to try to bury the pain of the repercussions of her sins one after the other, year after year. Sometimes we forget the journey that people have had to go through and how easy it is to want to anesthetize, dull the pain of the shrapnel of the sinful life that we're living. And so the repercussion happens, and then we go and try to cover it with more sin. And just like addiction, it takes more and more and more to try to dull the pain of a life that's collapsing and falling apart and hopeless and defiled. And that was the life of this woman. Trying so hard to bury her brokenness with more brokenness of sinful behavior. She may not have had outward, outward tattoos on her body that represented hopeless events in her life, but she certainly had painful tattoos burned on her heart from all the sin and the destruction. My grandson had this tattoo on his, um, on his shoulder, and he was proud of it until he went and enlisted to the Marines. <laughs> and um, uh, it happened to be the wrong kind of tattoo. And so he had to go back to the tattoo place and have it blotted out and turned into something else. But tattoos on the heart, nothing you can do in this life can blot out those tattoos. They're indelible marks. The, the thumbprints of sin that's left in your heart and how it affects your life. Except that the blood of Jesus can blot out the tattoos of your heart. Psalm 51, verse 1, David cries out, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And then later on in verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 51, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do you know that when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he gives you a new heart? The old hard heart of stone. The one that has all that deep impression of sin. He blots out your transgressions. You're forgiven. You're given a new heart. That, that's the core of your being, the, the power center, you might say, of, of this life. How did, the women, how did the woman know Jesus was to dine at the Pharisee's house? And this is kind of fascinating because um, in, in searching some of the background here, there are a few Bible commentators in putting together a timeline of the events of Jesus' life put this right after Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If that's true, it's almost as if she took the words and made them hers and she followed him from a distance watching. And she finds him here in the city entering into this Pharisee's house. And so she came and watched it. Because it says here in the text, in verse 37, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box. And so she, it's like it, it wasn't too long before everybody was all settled, Simon, proper Simon there, and then the guests, you know, reclining all around the table. And then all of a sudden, this woman comes in that everybody knows her background. And, and all of a sudden, she breaks down crying. She's so overcome, overcome in emotion by the reality of her many sins completely lifted off from her that it says that she wept. In verse 38, she stood at his feet behind him weeping. I want you to note that this word weeping doesn't just mean a shedding a tear or two. This word weeping is the word that's also um, defined as mourning, wailing, convulsively sobbing. Now, I confess that more and more, the older I get, I find myself tearing up at stupid Hallmark movies. And it's embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. But, but you know, when the horse dies, man, it just gets to me. <laughs> and, or when the dog dies. Uh, I mean, there was a time in, in uh, the Tom Hanks movie where, um, in the movie Finch, where he ends up dying from radiation and the dog in the trailer is going, oh at that moment, and I'm just going, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. And my wife knows it. I mean, you know, I, I, it, it's okay, but in front of other people, and wear sunglasses. And, but this is, this weeping here is different. This weeping here is from brokenness, heartbreak, shame, loss, guilt, convulsively weeping. I don't know if you've ever had a situation happen in your life where there's been such a tragic loss that it grabs your gut and you can't stop crying. And you can't believe how much water your eyes can put out and all the stuff that comes out of your nose. It just doesn't stop, and you can hardly breathe. That's this word. It's important to understand that. 
because Jesus saw this woman in a way that Simon did not, nor did any of the other guests. All they saw was her outward disgusting life and their self-righteousness. And think about it. When something happens, when you're, when you're visiting and you're around the table and then something drastic happens, all the conversation stops. And so there was silence in the courtyard. There had to have been silence in the courtyard except for this convulsive sobbing. And nobody knows what to do except Jesus. She is standing at his feet, verse 38, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. You know what this means? That the dirt and the filth that was on Jesus' feet from walking through um, um, life she took upon herself, on her hair. I mean, there was no dial soap there. It was just her tears, salty water. But there was so much water. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, which, by the way, she didn't have short hair because this wouldn't have worked. It had to have been longer hair, especially given her reputation, maybe. But I want you to think about this. She took upon herself the dirt from Jesus, the reproach. She she wanted to identify with him. And so his reproach was borne by her in her hair. It's called taking the reproach of Christ. That's what it reminds me of. And how often we are reluctant to take the reproach of Christ upon ourselves because of when the world hates Jesus, you know he, he hates you. The world hates you. And so not only is she weeping convulsively, she is wiping his feet with her hair and they're watching this. And then she's kissing his feet, actually nonstop. And then anointing, taking the, uh, the possible, the, the little vial of uh, fragrant oil that many of the women wore at that time and broke it open and poured it on his feet. And that oil, the fragrant oil, filled the courtroom. I mean, you ever been in an elevator where somebody has lost their sense of smell and uses half a bottle of English leather and, and all of a sudden you're stuck in an elevator and you can hardly breathe? And then your nose starts going and your eyes start watering because you can hardly breathe because the, the person has lost his sense of smell. Sorry if that's your... I mean, we used to, when I was in junior high, it was high karate and Jade East, you know, way back a long time ago. I'm not even sure where that came from, but it (laughs) just dated me. I don't know. You can probably buy it on eBay or something. It's 
whatever. But, but the whole scene is, is just full of, of interesting dynamic. Everybody's silent. They don't know what to say. And while the silence and the sobbing was going on, the Pharisee said within himself, verse 39, he spoke to himself. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. Pharisee was appalled by this. In his own self-righteousness, not only could he not see who Jesus was, he couldn't even understand this woman, judging so much by just her reputation and how disgusting. And, and actually, the Pharisees did not want to touch anybody who was a known sinner because it would defile them, and so they would keep their clothes away if they passed by those who were known sinners, always being so proper and, and tight. And here was this woman kissing Jesus' feet over and over and over. Let's go to part two, verses 40 to 43. Jesus isn't saying anything up to now. And as a matter of fact, there's an indication that he hasn't even stopped to look at the woman or pulled his feet away. He just waited for the Holy Spirit to give him understanding and to know what the next thing should do. So here's what he says, verse 40. Simon, I, I have something to say to you. And man, if I were Jesus, I'd say, you better believe I have something to say to you. you know, but no, no, he's very kind. I mean, think about it. His guests are there, so he's very kind and tactful in how he approaches this. Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon said, teacher, say it. It's not that he really saw Jesus as a super teacher, but he was just being gracious, you know. Go ahead, fine. I'm annoyed by everything, but go ahead. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii was a day's wage. So let's put that in today's amount. Let's say you earn $20 an hour, just for a, a figure, times eight hours a day, times five days, times 4.3 weeks in a month, times 12 months, that's $41,280 a year. Well, this was 500 days wage. So this is over, in the, over a year. So just for the sake of rounding it off, that's 50 grand. $50,000 is owed to this debtor. A creditor, rather. And so the other guy is only 10% of that amount, $5,000. And so when they had nothing with which to repay, he frankly forgave them both. I don't know about you, but if somebody waved off my $50,000 debt, paid off my car, I don't have a $50,000 car, by the way, but that's the average cost of a new car today. What? And just said, it's yours. Better than Wheel of Fortune. You'd be excited. But it was just five grand. You'd go, well, okay, well, thanks. I appreciate that. 
See, it's a, a different reaction. And that's, that's the point Jesus is um, trying to point out. Plus, verse 42 said they had nothing with which to repay. So that means you, you've lost your job. You have no income. You've been a, 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 a subject of identity theft and everything is gone. You have no relatives that have any money. And so you are broke with all capital letters. And he says, you know, just forget it. And so then he says to Simon, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Well, Simon answered, I suppose. I mean, just what a snob. I mean, I, I can just see him like lifting up his ones. Well, I suppose. It's like, dude, slap, you know. <laughs> I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Now notice the graciousness for the sake of the woman. And then the third part here tonight, verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? That phrase, that sentence is so telling because he didn't see the woman. But Jesus saw her. And here's what he said. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. It was customary when you invited somebody to dinner and they came to the door, um, the servant of the house would remove the sandals from the guest and then have a, a basin of water there and wash the feet to refresh them. Not so, you know, they won't get the carpet dirty, nothing like that. But it was just an act of refreshing, a kindness, a hospitality. But, this, but Simon the Pharisee didn't even give Jesus that hospitality. So you can tell he wasn't that, it, it wasn't that he was looking to have answers, but he was looking to accuse you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. And of course, after the foot washing, then there'd be the greeting, you know, kissing first on the right cheek and then the left cheek or however your culture does it. Kiss of greeting, greeting, uh, greeting. And then thirdly, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. And oftentimes when a guest would come in after the foot washing and then after the greeting of kissing on both cheeks, then the host would take a dab of fragrant oil and, and put it on the guest just as a representation of the sweet fellowship they would have together. Simon did none of this because he wasn't interested in hearing Jesus. He was interested in finding fault. Having a critical heart where you're always looking to find fault is not the love of God working in you. It's the flesh. Because you're setting up yourself as the standard of what's right. That's what self-righteousness means. Self-rightness. You're using your own standard 
to be that by which you judge other people and you miss the heart of God. Because this Simon the Pharisee missed Jesus, God incarnate, right in front of him. Do you see this woman? Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. So those three things Simon pointed, or Jesus pointed out to Simon, that this woman did, which he did not do. You gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss of friendly greeting. You did not anoint my head with oil. And I wonder, as I read this, I wonder if the woman looking in saw what Simon did not do to her honored Lord. Because she did everything that Simon should have done. I just wonder. By the way, kissing the feet is the actual meaning of the word worship in the Greek. Proskuneo, to kiss the hand or the ground in reverence to a sovereign. Worship. When we worship the Lord, and we give him honor and praise from the heart. The Bible indicates that it is like incense that goes up before the throne. A fragrance that goes up before the throne. But when we do worship in rote and just sing because we know the song and our mind is going elsewhere, we're not sending up any incense. We read in Revelation where incense came up before the throne, which, are, which is the prayers of the saints. Talking about the believers, not those from the Catholic Church. I want my worship to be in spirit and in truth because I want to send a fragrant incense to the throne to share my heart with my Lord. And that's something we always have to do a heart check with. But I tell you what, the worship is so different when you've gone through a season of brokenness and God has met you in your brokenness. And the result of the fragrance that goes up to the throne is like sweet incense. But sometimes we have to be crushed like incense is crushed before it's lit on fire. I don't want to go through brokenness, but I know I'm going to have to still. I have to. Because as Andy mentioned, Pastor Andy mentioned over the weekend, you don't get wine until you crush the grapes. You don't get the incense until you crush those spices and those barks, and then you light, the, light it on fire, and then the fragrance goes up.
in my brokenness, the Lord meets me and he sets me on fire and the fragrance goes up to the Lord. Verse 47, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many. I mean, he didn't have to say that, but I think he wanted to make a point of something, that her debt was huge before God. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And actually, the, in the Greek, the structure of verse 47 is, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, remain forgiven. It's not that she's earning forgiveness. It's she is responding out of forgiveness. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little, which was really Simon and those around the table. Because they didn't see their sin in the light of God's holiness. They saw their life in the light of their own obedience to the ceremonial rites and the commandments of men. And surely God will bless it. But you know, there's a lot of people like that today. I'm okay with God. I'm sure that when I get to heaven, you know, he'll be reasonable. Nothing about the demand that you must believe on the Son of God to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then he said, your sins are forgiven you, verse 49. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith in me has saved you. Go into peace. As we close here and we ponder this text, there's so many things to think about. I want to see people like Jesus sees them. I know there's that temptation for me to make judgments upon the outward appearance or upon how they, what kind of a tragic life they lived, what kind of a person, man, they're just wasted. Stop it. Wait a minute. See people like Jesus sees them because what you're seeing are symptoms of brokenness. And so many people are trying to cover, 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 fill it up, but it's like addiction and it's never satisfying. And maybe some of you here tonight are like that. You've been trying to just cover the pain with, with more sin and you're finding that it's like drinking seawater to try to quench your thirst and you're dying. But a new heart is offered when you place your trust in Jesus Christ. Those of you watching online, if this is where you're at tonight, God is calling you. It's no accident you're watching this online. God is calling you to, to drop to your knees and say, God, I want to be set free like this woman was. I don't want to be like Simon the Pharisee. Could you put a new heart in me? I trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who bore my sin, and you're offering forgiveness, and I, I ask you to forgive me, God. Cleanse me. Give me a new heart. 
Not a reconditioned old model. I want a new life, a new creation. And God will meet you in that prayer. And then let the incense go up to him and worship. Let's close with a word of prayer together. Father God, we thank you for this text tonight. And we ask that these truths, as we've gleaned them, would burn through our hearts, Lord, and that we would be disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, reflecting his heart to the world around us. And we thank you, God, that nothing's too hard for you, no matter how long we've, we've been um, lagging behind, that you'd get us in step with you. You're our chief shepherd. So bless as we close and worship. We give our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.